Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome in. It's Reunion Friday on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert. He is the one and only Keith Alsup. Uh, and we are uh, doing this. Uh, I guess it's it's like a home and home. Um, I guess we got the home game today. Uh, just to let you guys know, also, if you're not a patron of the lot on the Gamecocks podcast, Keith's podcast, go ahead and sign up. This will be on his uh, on that stream today as well. Uh, so it's kind of a simulcast, Keith, and I kind of I kind of, uh, I kind of dig it. It is the first <laughs> simulcast of the Inside the Gamecocks and the Lock on the Gamecocks podcast. Absolutely. Well, for, go ahead. My my brain is too fried with this ear infection to come up with a word like simulcast, but that's what it is. <laughs> it's all good, man. Um, big news today, obviously, and uh, this is probably going to be the, the big topic today, Keith is uh, Frank Martin. They, they went ahead and agreed to the contract extension. I think if there was going to be a contract extension, uh, this is exactly what I had in mind. No buyout after one year um, or a prorated buyout, so the university won't be on the hook in case a change has to be made. Uh, your initial thoughts about that. Now, I'll say that to say this. Right after that news broke today, the Cincinnati job came open. Uh, Cincinnati fired John Brennan, and I've been told behind the scenes to take a look at to keep an eye on that situation because they were interested in Frank last time, and obviously Frank has some ties there, uh, being an assistant under Bobby Huggins and Andy Kennedy at Cincinnati. But, uh, you know, just an interesting uh, news day. I kind of figured it would happen on a Friday. <laughs> uh, but uh, your initial thoughts about that whole situation? All right, so first, Addison has something to say to JC. Oh, yeah, there she is. Hi, Addison. How are you? All right, bye, Addison. All right. Okay, there we go. There we go. All right, so, JC, for me, it's it, what we knew it was going to be. It's the non-contract extension, contract extension, because uh, the buyout's mitigated. It's essentially, if you find before April 1st of next year, it's $3.2 million. If you find on April Second, it's three million, and then if he makes it through two years, then you don't owe him anything. So, um, I don't really know what this does. I mean, it does give him a four-year contract, but I think we all know college coaches read everybody's contracts and buyouts and. You know, other than a Serbian from North Dakota or, you know, somebody like that, I don't know who else is coming for a guy that unless they, you know, have a really good season next year, it's going to be fired. I guess it doesn't matter if you're a grad transfer, but if you're a grad transfer, it kind of matters who else he's filling out this roster with uh, that has more than one year because you don't want to, leave someplace and go into a losing situation. So I think it's interesting. You know, it'll be, it looks like South Carolina and Murray State swapped uh, guards with uh, Chico Carter and Trey Hannibal. The trade. And they definitely on the weight scale, right? Because Hannibal's like 230, and I think Chico's like 180. So they're plus 50 pounds of uh, 
guard. Hannibal could be an Amari Rogers type receiver, I think, if he uh, if he was on the gridiron or a defensive back or a linebacker. But yeah, you're right. Chico Carter, of course, coming from Murray, and then Trey's going up to Murray State, uh, and uh, that that was one. And then uh, you know you just kind of look at it, and you know that's going to be scrutinized. You, you know, next year everybody's going to be tracking how Chico Carter and Trey Hannibal both do at their respective schools. I mean, no doubt. I mean, just like, you know, this past year, there were three power five point guards. Basically, well, two of them were in Columbia. One went to Wake Forest. One went to Clemson and South Carolina to Jacoby Wright, uh, who I think is from the Fort Mill, Rock Hill area, but was at Legacy Charter. And, you know, I said, Back in the fall, it would be interesting to me to chart the path of those three players uh, to see which one, you know, wound up having the best career. So I guess this will be a similar kind of deal because I think both of those guys came out the same year. So they both played two years of college basketball, and now they're just trading places like Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. Mortimer. <laughs> That's a heck of a movie, Trading Space. Have you ever, there's a little bit of a North Carolina basketball uh, reference, UNC basketball reference in that movie when they're on the train. So um, that's interesting. Yeah, and it, you know, you, you sort of knew, again, and, and Cincinnati just opened, so you, you, you'd have to think if Frank Martin was really interested in that job, maybe we wouldn't have had the, the, the announcement today or whatever because he had to have known behind the scenes it was going to come open. Uh, but still, you never know. It's not open until it's open. So, uh, obviously, they're moving forward with recruiting or in a recruiting period right now. Um, as far as whether or not this should have happened, uh, I think we've all given our opinions on the, the political interference. And I think regardless of the outcome, I didn't like the fact that anybody was meddling, you know, because uh, I think those decisions need to be made by university leadership and university leadership alone. But, you know, for fans out there that, that were time, it was time for Frank to go, and I think there are many because, you know, Frank Martin was kind of key to me heading into this past year, trending at about 65% support. I think that number's down around 15 at best right now when you talk about uh, kind of gauging the pulse of the fan base. Um, so what I would say to the 85% of you that want to change, there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> uh, other than to just, you know, hope that uh, he turns it around. As far as the contract goes, Keith, another point, thing is most of these deals are year to year. I mean, it's a situation where th this is not, you know, we're not – I don't even think you need to worry about what the fourth year was uh, on the contract because obviously if, if things don't turn next season, there'll be a strong sentiment for change. Um, and if he does turn it, he's going to redo the contract and, and you're going to add a buyout back in. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see that, you know, I think the one significance for Frank Martin today uh, with the rework contract is there's no buyout for him. Like if he would have taken the Cincinnati job last week, he would have to, you know, there would be a parting gift 
for Ray Taylor. <laughs> yeah, that's a party gift. Now, now there's no parting gift. There's no year supply of rice aroni, the San Francisco tree. So. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. So that's um, that's interesting. Gamecocks did get a commitment from a power forward grad transfer from uh, George Mason. We all remember George Mason when Jim – Laranaga was the coach there, and they went to the Final Four. Um, this, they're, they're not that, as good as they once were, but this kid's 6'7", 230s from Baltimore. A.J. Wilson is his name, not to be confused with Asia Wilson. This is, this is A.J. Wilson. Seems to be, Keith, uh, just looking at, at kind of his stat line and his rep, seems to be like a defensive stopper that, you know, his previous – you know, year before last averaged about 12 – Point seven and seven boards a game. Those numbers decline this year, uh, but looks like a strong inside player that's a pretty good defender. I threw out the name Malik Russell uh, with a comparison on him, and I'm not as good with basketball, so uh, tell me if I'm an idiot on that, but it, that's kind of a guy it reminded me of. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a defensive specialist, J.C. He's a guy that's an all-time leader and block shots at George Mason. He's a top 10 rebounder. Uh, in 2019-2020, averaged uh, 12 points a game. This past year, he was down to 7.8. And, uh, you know, so South Carolina gets this guy from his uh, all A-10 defensive player. And Pat Kelsey goes to the College of Charleston and gets a former five-star from NC State. Mm-hmm. Six, 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 six. So, um, you know, I, I think because of the precarious situation South Carolina is in, and because basically everybody knows, barring a miraculous turnaround, Frank Martin's going to be fired. And with the, you know, Frank Martin's greatest hits on YouTube. I just don't know how, you know, I think you and I talked about it, JC. After the final four, Frank Martin hit the transfer portal because you had to. And the the top guy he could get, you know, was from Florida Atlantic. And Frank Booker. I mean, nothing wrong with Frank Booker, but Frank Booker's not elevating you you know, when you lose Sundarius Thornwell and you're replacing him with Frank Booker, I mean, that's uh, not close, my man. No, and, and look, I, Booker was not awful. It took, you know, he, he was one that when you looked at his stat line from FAU and four points a game, you're like, ah, I mean, he actually surpassed my expectations that year. Uh, but but watch watch him that se- watching him that season, Keith, is the reason why I think there's a major cause from for concern because, you know, some of these guys probably are able or can play. You know, some of you guys are probably play, but I uh, we hear from Frank Martin. I mean, this is not me and you sitting here speculating. We hear from him that it takes guys a long time to get used to how to used to playing for him. His best teams are older teams with players that have been with him for a couple of years, uh, and unfortunately. You know, college basketball with this transfer portal thing, Keith, I think the game fundamentally is going to change. I mean, as as far as you're not really going to have the time 
to develop guys because uh, you're going to have a lot of transition every single season. Jeff Goodman, by the way, uh, mentions uh, former Indiana coach Archie Miller and Frank Martin as the two early names for that Cincinnati job. So hold on to your hands for hats, folks. But uh, getting back to it, you know, Keith, you look at Booker and he ended up having a good year, averaging 14 points a game, playing good defense, but it took him a month. And I did, I just don't know that he's got the luxury Frank Martin does of, of having some weeks where he's teaching lessons and losing games that they shouldn't lose. And, you know, that kind of development, I, I think you got to go win right away. And, and, the chances of doing that, in my opinion, based on his track record with multiple good players, um, you know, he, he's not done that before. So, so that's, you know, would, would you agree with that? That like, just, you know, nothing against him. It's just who he is as a coach uh, and what's made him successful. You know, he's really behind the eight ball with this group coming up. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's what we saw this year, the disconnect. Because with with the defensive system, you have to do it every single day, and you can't be shut down, you know, three different times during the season. You lose the continuity. Uh, you lose the sense of urgency, and so it does take time. And he's very demanding offensively. They're system-oriented. You know, he wants ball reversal. They run a version of a high school offense called the wheel offense. Um, you know, it, there's pattern to it. You know, we saw, was it against Alabama where they had to have a three? And uh, Jermaine Cousinard throws it to a guy running under the basket for a layup when they drew up a play and said, we've got to have a three. I mean, it just takes time. And, you know, JC, the good news is, is, you know, we're climbing out of this pandemic thing. Uh, you know, I think I read today over 25% of adults are now fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that number will go as high as it wants to go uh, by the summer. And by the time we get in the next season, you know, hopefully there's no interruptions, but they they miss the continuity. They need the continuity, and guys that have been someplace else playing glorified AAU basketball, yeah, not an easy adjustment to come in and play for Frank Mark. No, it isn't. now the AJ Wilson, the, the the good thing I think though about the two kids that they've gotten so far, because I mean they're not done, Keith. They're gonna they can't unless. For some reason, Lawson, Cousinard, and Bryant all come back, which <clears throat> is not as crazy as it sounds based on some people I've talked to, but I don't expect it. Now, if those all, if those, those three guys come back, uh, I, I think you may be on to something. I, I think there's a chance they could have a, a rebound year, I mean, if those three guys come back. But, of course, nothing about the way those three guys played this year. I know Bryant got a little better. Cousinard was dramatically worse, and – Lawson, I think I would consider him more consistent, but the holes in his game were not patched. Um, you know, if those three come back, it's a different story. Um, but, you know, the good thing about the two kids that he has gotten uh, in the transfer portal, didn't mean to get off on a tangent there. You know, Chico Carter Jr. played at Cardinal Newman, where Frank Martin's kid went. Obviously, he's familiar with what he's walking into. Like, okay, and this kid, A.J. Wilson – 
the fact that he loves defense and takes pride in it was defensive player of the year or whatever uh, tells me he's not going to have a problem with the desire, with the want to. It's a matter of picking it up. And so uh, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not that so far with those two guys, you know, uh, it, it, it's maybe a little bit different story in, in terms of the hope that, you know, they could come in and, and adjust. Now, I mean, I'm going to totally agree with you here. Here's my one caveat is uh, A.J. Wilson, I think, is a perfect fit for a Frank Martin team. Chico Carter, though, is a two-guard. And I just don't think – I don't know that he can be a point guard. And so, J.C., the quandary has been since P.J. Dozier – departed for that meeting that uh, what's-his-name set up uh, that got him in trouble and then went to the NBA. South Carolina's point guard situation has been precarious at best, and it's been a different guy every single year since then. And with the, you know, the likely departures of guys from this team and the departures – it's going to be somebody different next year. I don't know if that person's on the roster yet or not. Chico Carter, though, shoots 42, 44% from three. He's over 80% from the free throw line. He's everything Seventh Woods was not. Okay, I don't know if he can, it will be a great defender. I don't know. But what I do know is, Chico Carter Jr. can shoot the basketball. He can make shots. Um, and it's going to be, you know, up to the coaching staff to identify who can be the point guard. So you don't roll through. through and, and it may be a situation like two years ago where you end up rolling through uh, three or four guys before you settle on the guy. Let's hope that's not the situation. Do you think Frank Martin tries too often to play guys that are natural wings or shooting guards at point guard? I mean, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying, like, to me, I never thought Seventh Woods was a point guard. Uh, you know, Cousinard was really a scorer, but his red shirt freshman year, he had the focus to do it. He had – Wesley Myers, and then you had Trey Campbell. I mean, it's just been a different guy every year. You know, Jacoby Wright, JC, I've talked to probably six or eight people, and half of them think he's pretty good, and half of them doesn't really think he's that good. So I don't know. You know, do you want in your 10th year, do you want it to be a true freshman? I, guard? I don't know. Not unless he's good. I mean, not unless he's daggum good, man. Um, I mean, if he's that guy that came in and played for Auburn, yeah, sign me up. But, you know, that dude's going to be a lottery pick. I don't know if anybody's talking about Jacoby Wright being a one-and-done lottery pick. No, you're right. There's half the people you talk to about him – love him to death and think he's like big time. And that includes analysts. And then the other people are just kind of like, he's just okay. Um, and then Devin Carter is another guy that, uh, 
you kind of hear some some rumblings about you know hey they got a steal with this guy and all that but then you don't you know it doesn't it's not universal and i think you always want universal i mean and, and even with woodley and williams the the two other the 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 forwards and wings that they've gotten in in this class, you know, you hear good things about Taquan Woodley and then, but you don't universally. And Carlos Williams is the same way. I mean, JC, I think I saw where Frank Martin's offered uh, Dwayne Wade's son, who is, uh, was a teammate of Devin Carter at Brewster. And he's a 6-2 point guard. So that could be interesting. Boy, yeah, especially now that to have Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade sitting behind the bench at home games could be pretty fun. Sure, I think we all thought we were going to have that when Darren Horn was there. Remember, because he coached Dwayne Wade at uh, Marquette, so with Tom Green. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean that that would be pretty pretty good right there and. Uh, heck, if you can get it, if you can get him and get him in, that, that that's good. That's good enough for me. So <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully that's happened or that happens. And, 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 you know, that kind of thing too, Keith, regardless of how good Dwayne Wade's kid is or isn't, then um, that's still something I think that fans can kind of get behind a little bit. Uh, I remember Michael Jordan's son played for UCF. He was, I think he averaged about 13 points. Jeffrey Jordan, I think, averaged about 13 points a game for him. He was good, not great, not his dad. But that kind of helped their program, you know. And, and uh, over the years, Johnny Dawkins, uh, since getting that job, kind of capitalized. And, you know, UCF's not as bad of a basketball program as they once were. And, in fact, sometimes they've been pretty good. So, uh, I, I think something like that would do well. But, you know, Frank also had Reggie Theus's kid on the team for a while and, I don't know that he ever played, so, <laughs> you know, so we'll see kind of what happens there. All right, it's going to be a shorter episode today of the Inside the Game Cost podcast. Hey, Keith, also, huh? I got a question for you. Okay. So this is – so first off, I'm going to say the guy's name is Zaire Wade. Last year, coming out of high school, he was the number 197 prospect in the 24-7 sports rankings. So there's that. All right. So I had a football question for you. Gotcha. So do you see in your wildest dreams, did you ever believe when Gunnar Stockton decommitted from South Carolina, the Gamecocks could end up getting a commitment from an even higher rated player than Gunnar Stockton? Now, Gunnar Stockton was number two uh, at the time, uh, I think in the – Composite, and he's now it, that's going down because he's now. He, I think ESPN released their rankings, and he's 86th in those rankings. And then uh, the new quarterback offer from Delaware, I think, is 39th, and very well could push him ahead. So no, I I didn't think that at all, Keith. But that's uh, and look, I, I want to be clear. I don't think that the the kid they've offered from Delaware is a player that can step on the – Braden Davis is his name, by the way – can step on the field and kind of like Gunnar Stockton. You know, let's say Luke Doty isn't very good this year, and and I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I actually think Luke's going to play pretty well. Or, 
Jason Brown isn't very good. Colton Gothers isn't right. You know, you kind of looked at 2022 and went, Gunnar Stott can step in right away and be the starter. He's that physically gifted and repolished and ready to go. And a lot of kids that are on the radar like that as sophomores are. You know, that's why they're on the radar like that. But then you start seeing, and I've done this before in rankings, then you start seeing other guys. And, and, and you see a guy like Braden Davis at a camp where he's raw. Then you go back, he'll just feel like, man, he's really improved. And then you see him again. You're like, man, he's got some tools. And, and, and so then you start thinking about the upside, which is what rankings are, essentially. Uh, and, and in this scenario, it, it looks like Jerry and, and Tom and those guys at ESPN have, have decided, hey, you know, we, we like the upside of this kid, Braden Davis, um, better than Gunner, which is – I mean, it's a surprise to me, but man, I'm not out there seeing him like I used to. I haven't seen Braden Davis. Um, and so uh, this is one of those cases I'll defer to them. <laughs> uh, but I do think there's a lot to like about a guy that's 6'5, 195, Keith. And, and, you know, me and you always talk about, you know, numbers, athletic testing numbers. So, so this kid went two years ago, May 5th, 2019. Okay, it's two years, calendar years. And uh, as young as he was, measured six four and a half, weighed 191 pounds, 4.22 shuttle. And I tell people all the time, shuttle is like ver- uh, horizontal movement, and that's good when you're talking about escapability in the pocket because you can move quick, quickly, no cement shoes. And a 4.7840, which is good. Now, his vertical, 28.7, not all that great. Uh, but when you're talking about quarterback um, – you're basically, I think, the straight line speed and the shuttle uh, in terms of what they have to do athletically may be a little more important. Vertical is, it measures explosiveness, and, uh, you know, it's one of the best measures of overall athleticism. But, you know, you're not asking him as a quarterback to go out there like a defensive lineman or a linebacker and be super explosive and, and do freaky things. You're, you're asking him to – manage the offense, run when he, run when he needs to, uh, and, and have a chance to run when he needs to, uh, and things of that nature. So I I look at the upside there, and, and I, I can see why people like him, really do. So, and this is for me, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, is the one thing I always – well, really two things that were always in the back of my mind with Gunnar Stockton was, one, he's – you know, only probably about six foot one. Uh, But the next was the level of competition. And I mean, I know it's different in the seven on sevens. He's, you know, one of the main guys. Did did that ever, you know, come across your mind? Did you ever think, well, you know, when this guy gets to South Carolina, he's not going to be playing single A North Georgia Guys, yes and no. Uh, to a certain extent, you know, that would definitely be as an evaluator a question mark for me because you know, you level of competition is not an overwhelming factor, but it is a factor. And, and you're sitting there watching a guy, uh, in single A ball in Georgia, which you know, there's some good single A teams with some good athletes in Georgia, especially. In, the Northeast part, Commerce. I think Banks County is a 1A school. Uh, uh, Stevens County, uh, Elbert County. Um, so there, it's not like you're just playing absolutely abysmal competition. However, um, yeah. So what I would want to see is like, 
you know, they have the opening every year, the elite 11, where the kids go out, they play seven on seven with, uh, you know, and, and there's not a lot, and there's no pass rush. So, you know, but you can kind of tell like, okay, are the DBs breaking on his balls quickly? Uh, is he a little bit slow, a tick behind because he's not used to, you know, fitting it into those type spaces. So I would want to see that, but I, I think you're definitely right. It, it, it would be a concern. Um, I, I think this kid though, Braden Davis uh, playing in Delaware, I, you know, I think it would be concerned with him as well. Um, but, but I, I think that with Braden Davis, Keith, you're asking, you're asking him to do something different than Gunnar Stott. Gunnar Stott comes, people are going to, you know, think he needs to win the job or he's a – everybody knows going in, this kid's a little bit raw. He's got great bloodlines for the NFL, um, has long-term NFL draft potential. He's got great size and speed. Um, and so the highest upside here is big, but I think people will be more patient with this guy too than, than maybe Gunner. And that was a concern of mine because I think there was so much hype with Gunner Stott, and I think you'll see it at Georgia when he ends up there – People aren't going to want to wait. You know, they're not going to want to wait. They're either not going to want to wait and he's going to be thrown to the wolves at an act of desperation or something, or Vandergriff's going to be so good that now, he'll, go, he'll go there and transfer. So, huh? I was going to ask you, didn't Brock Vandergriff decommit from Georgia? I'm pretty sure I saw that. Okay. Well, um, maybe he did. I'm checking on I mean, you can check for me, but I'm pretty sure I saw a Brock Vandergriff decommit. Uh, and that's one of the other things I wanted um, to ask you. No, no, no. Vandergriff's 2021 kid. You're thinking of somebody else. And I know you're thinking about it. It wasn't Georgia, or maybe it was. It was, it was some kid that had something to do with Carolina. But no, Vandergriff's already enrolled unless he left. My mistake. May, it may have been when I had the fever from the – I get Brock Vandergriff confused with like five or six other guys all the time. So do not feel bad, my friend, (laughs) on that one. But yeah, so I mean, and I don't know. I don't know. I've never been a big Brock Vandergriff guy. If you ask me who I'd rather have, I'd rather have Stockton, you know, even though you're a part. But you know, that, that, that's kind of what's going to happen there. And and, and I think it, it, with Carolina getting weighed, or I'm sorry, with uh, Smith, Braden Smith, I, I just don't know that it's uh, – Davis, Braden Davis. Davis, Davis Smith. Tennessee great, Antoine Davis. Antoine Davis. Yeah, I, I remember Antoine Davis. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's a guy that can – you know, and the, the, the beauty of all this too is, Keith, is that Colton Gauthier – uh, so far has surpassed early expectations. Now, I don't know the, if he's going to play this year or not, but I, I think, you know, and, and I, it kind of backed up what I've been hearing, uh, watching him toss it around a little bit on the football practice live stream the other day. Um, you know, and, and so I think Carolina's on to something with him, and I, I think he's got a bright future. And, and so this allows you to, again, to go get a kid like Davis that maybe you can wait a little while on and um, – and all that. And hey, once you if you get him, Keith, that's three studs from Delaware. So you have to think you know, with the handful of guys that come out of Delaware every cycle, you know, South Carolina's gonna be a pretty popular option. Well, you can just get Joe Biden to build more of that high speed rail from Wilmington, Delaware <laughs> on down the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, um, so hey, so I wanted to get your take on this. 
What's your, what do you think about the commitment of Grace and Mange? And then from reading, you know, Tony Morrell's report this morning, it sounds like the Gamecocks could be trending with a guy that I thought would always be a major long shot in Ryan Brubaker, a big, burly four star Pennsylvania offensive line. Greg Atkins uh, seems like his work is paying off. You know, I was watching Greg Atkins' press conference earlier today, Keith, and um, just uh, or, or yesterday actually is when I wanted to. He's a really magnetic personality, you know, and he's got this refreshing honesty about him, but he's also folksy enough to you're like, man, yeah, I, I could play for that guy, you know. <laughs> Uh, and I think he's got a good relationship with his players and he's a great coach. Uh, and, you know, where, where did Greg Atkins work the last time he was in the SEC? Where did Tennessee where, look, man, you have to go get players from out of state. Um, you know, he also went head to head with Coach O uh, on uh, Michael Orr from the blind side when he was at Tennessee. So this, this guy's not – he's not unfamiliar with getting into recruiting tussles even when it's a kid that's got Penn State ties in Penn State's backyard. Um, and, and you've read the feedback from Ryan Brubaker in interviews, and, and he just seems – and not just about Carolina, but he's so appreciative for all the schools that recruit him. And, and he's one of those kids that in his interviews, he tells you exactly what he's thinking because he backs it up with, here's why I feel this way. They did this. That's why I feel this way because that's that. Uh, and I kind of got that feeling from reading. I was like, this is not just your lip service that he, you give to a to a school. He legitimately feels that way. And, you know, he's visiting in June officially. Um, he's got Tennessee, Penn State, Vandy, and, and South Carolina. He's got um, – uh, and, and according to Morrell's report, like you, you mentioned, he wants to play in the warm weather. Uh, and so I think that's good. The other kid, Jacob Allen – from New Jersey, if they can find a way to get him to visit, his grandparents live in Myrtle Beach. So, um, shoot, you may all make me happy just from a my preference standpoint. Sign some four-star offensive linemen from the Northeast or Midwest, and uh, I'll be pretty happy about that. Yeah, I mean, look, I've always thought the Northeast, and in particular New Jersey, because, J.C., outside of – of kids from South Carolina and North Carolina, the next largest state of undergraduates at the University of South Carolina historically has been New Jersey. Yes. I mean, I know when I moved in in the fall of 1983 to the Honeycombs, which is now the Honors College, I used to always tell people, yeah, I lived in the Honors College when I was at USC. Um, huh. I had these guys from New Jersey. They lived across the hall from me. And uh, it's the first time I knew that Jesus had a middle name. <laughs> uh, I mean, that was just the beginning of my education. Uh, you know, so I, and, hey, when Joe Morrison was at Carolina, he signed a lot of guys from New Jersey. One of them played for Charlie Weiss in Morristown, New Jersey. Ken Sally was the number one high school safety in the country. Of course, Charlie ended up getting a GA job at South Carolina uh, in the aftermath of that. But, I mean, it just makes sense. You know, the weather's nice. 
most of the people up there, when they go to the beach, they come to Myrtle Beach. They do. The, the, the Jersey Shore gets crowded, man. And uh, I remember plenty. You know, I've you know grew up part of my life down in Myrtle. My mother's from Myrtle, and you see the light. I, I got to just go down seventeen and see the license plates. It's Ohio. It's New Jersey. Uh, it's New York in a lot of ways, you know. And then the, in uh, it's South the University of South Carolina, there's also a ton of students from the DMV, from Northern Virginia and Maryland and uh, Washington, D.C. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's always been smart if you can. Uh, and Muschamp staff, this is one thing, they didn't seem to be able to do well. I thought, I thought they recruited Georgia better than any staff we've had at Carolina. Um, but I, uh, I thought that, you know, you look back and I know a lot of Mangus's kids you got from up there didn't pan out for one reason or the other, whether that was – debilitating sickness or, you know, position changes that they didn't like or, or whatever, but he did get Demir bird. Who's still in the NFL. Last time I, I checked uh, and David Williams I got drafted after going to Arkansas. So it wasn't all bad. Uh, but, but I thought that the new staff for the, the, with Muschamp, you know, they just didn't seem to be able to get up there. They were more likely to steal a kid out of Tennessee or Alabama or, or, or beat Georgia on a Georgia kid or something than go up there. But I've always thought, and, and it's not, and, and the exception with that was Eric Wolford getting offensive linemen from Northern Virginia. Cause Ja'Kai Moore, Vershawn Lee, and then they had that other kid that left Jesus, uh, whatever his name was. And, and, and Wolford did that, but that would seem to be all they could do. Uh, I think Beamer given that he was at Virginia tech for a while, given that he recruited DC for Oklahoma, uh, I think he's sort of seen the light in terms of how you can work up and down. Other SEC schools do it, and you can you can pick off good players. So that's good. And, and, and despite all, even with the, the best thing about all that, Keith is offensive linemen. I think from Pennsylvania because I you know when they get Ryan Brubaker, I think I'm going to be I'm going to be pretty impressed with that. And I think you know you wait two or three years, that guy's probably going to be pretty good. By the way. Uh, breaking news update as it relates to Braden Davis. Rutgers was a team that was really in the mix. Uh, crystal ball in for high four-star quarterback Gavin Wimsett from Owensboro, Kentucky for Rutgers. So, and actually he no, didn't commit. He committed. He did commit. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's good on two fronts because it helps Carolina get Braden Davis. And that means – uh, the in-state Wildcats miss on one of the highest-rated prospects they've had in that state for a while. So I, I don't know how he's getting to Rutgers, but if you're a Tennessee fan and you see what Shiano's sort of doing over there, you're probably like, oh, uh, man, my stomach hurts. He's chopping wood. <laughs> he's chopping he's wood. Shiano's <laughs> chopping wood, brother. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that was that was some news there. So 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 now Rutgers is out, and so I think you know Rutgers was a team that I heard was really Davis was really impressed with. So uh, you know it may not seem like a big deal right now just because of how awful Rutgers has been, but recruiting is different. So uh, I think that helps the game cost with Davis. Yeah, I mean I agree. This is being intriguing pickups. So hey, JC, I know we're. Not going to go that long. So, I mean, I think we got to talk about the Darla Moore incident. I mean, <laughs> I did a I whole episode. Did. Yeah, but I, for your, for the, the locks patrons. So, I, all I'm going to say is this is one, it, it is inexcusable 
Two, it's a reflection of our society. Okay, America has become a very polarized society, whether you're a D or an R. Okay, Dollar Moore, $70 million, okay, in donations. Her name is on the business stool. Nikki, I mean, Nikki Haley, uh, when she became governor, she took Dollar Moore off the board because Dollar Moore supported her opponent because Dollar Moore is a Democrat and put some, you know, white guy that just loved the Gamecocks on the board in her place. Uh, so she still built the business school and she didn't like the fact that McMaster circumvented the process because the 44th president of the United States, or I guess maybe 45, Donald Trump, wanted him to. They got Caslin enough votes to get him in. Dollar Moore raised hell about it. And so her mother dies, and because she's a D and they're an R, they don't take into consideration all the good. Like, it wouldn't have mattered to me. I wouldn't have cared if her name would have been Darla Q. Moore, okay? The political people will get that gist. It shouldn't matter. All that should matter is her love for the university, what she did in her position of wealth and influence for the university, and somebody, J.C., should have had the common decency to have reached out to her at least the next day, to have sent flowers, to have called her on the phone, to have left her a message, and let her know that her alma mater, her university, to whom she's given $70 million, is thinking about her and that tragic loss. And instead, Clemson ends up doing it before South Carolina. And after about a week of hearing nothing, she got really pissed off about it. And, you know, I don't know. You know, I thought the airing of grievances was reserved only for Festivus. But um, she's airing her grievances and now changing her will. South Carolina was going to get a lot more money after she was gone. And now they're going to get none simply because of a lack of decency. And to me, that's a shame. Yeah, I would hope that, you know, this this is probably not permanent. Uh, I, I think that sometimes things like this, when it gets to be public, it's too late, you know, and, 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 and I hope that's not the case here. It may be. And I think as South Carolinians, we, you know, sometimes – as a people, we don't stab you in the back. We'll stab you in the face <laughs> and, uh, and we'll go after your throat and, and make it public and just, you know, raise all kinds of hell and then cooler heads end up prevailing and your friends again. But then often other times we've seen it where that's the, that's the end. And no matter what happens, uh, cooler heads will not prevail. And then the grievance will be carried on for, Shoot, maybe generations. <laughs> that's just kind of how the state, that's kind of the two extremes uh, of, of the people 
uh, our people there in the state, you know, and, and that's uh, so fortunate. Got that. I, I just think this. I, I I look back to the moment where Nikki Haley removed Darla Moore, and I, I understand Darla Moore is not perfect. Okay, uh, and I understand that you know she's very uh, direct about how what she thinks was right, and if, if, if you don't agree, then you know she's going to let you know. And I think that's healthy for a leadership position on a board of trustees. Um, and I don't think there's any other reason for Nikki Haley to remove her other than she heavily supported Vincent Shaheen to be the governor. Okay, so you're exactly right about that. Starting with that, going through the McMaster thing, Keith, my daddy used to tell me South Carolina will never do anything University of because of politics. And, and you always kind of saw it, you know, me and you, uh, grew up during the, the the reign of James Holderman. Well, when we were yeah. younger, we saw the Frank McGuire unceremoniously dump situation that caused a lot of butthurt with players uh, and rightful butthurt, you know, for, for years and years and years. Some of the best teams and players in the history of the university were estranged from the University of South Carolina. You saw it with football players from the Morrison era. Um, and, and you've seen it over the years. I felt like starting in 2000, Lou Holtz, uh, Sorensen, and then Slash Pastides, Eric Hyman, those people that were in leadership. Uh, as time went on, I, I kind of looked back and, and, and I, I felt like Keith probably 10 years ago that universities finally got good leadership. They're, they're spending money. You look at the campus, it looks great. The academics are going up, athletics are winning. Uh, everything's great. And then, like, you go back, though, and starting with that move by Nikki Haley, uh, it seems like some of the politicians uh, in our state believe that that's just their, kind of their own personal project, and then and it'll never be there. I talked to a high-ranking uh, member of the Republican Party uh, just to kind of find out some background on all this, and it's uh, there's zero chance, he said, that, that some of the power brokers in Columbia – will ever agree to Clemson's board set up for Carolina. And, and it's sad. He didn't express an opinion on it, but uh, he said, you know, Clemson's a land-grant school, um, and apparently that has a lot to do with it. You know, there are other land-grant schools across the country. Most of them in the Big Ten are. Auburn's a land-grant school. Uh, and so when they set it up, it's governed differently, and they have a certain degree of autonomy. And unfortunately, that will never happen at South Carolina – this was this person's opinion. Um, and I think that's sad. So, so if you're going to keep it like this, Keith, in my opinion, the politics need to stay out of it. And I, I'm sympathetic to the people that think, well, there's a lot of politics in higher education as it is. And I'm sympathetic to the people that think 95% of the politics coming out of higher education is not something I'm even close to agreeing with. But I don't think, but but I don't think you change that by forcing in a political appointee as the school president. He's not going to change the marketplace of ideas. He's just going to be a polarizing figure. Um, and, and so I'm sympathetic to that point of view. But you have to live in reality and understand that, that since the 1960s, okay, the 60s, that's what, that's 40, 60 years. You know, the Vietnam since the 1960s. Higher education has been a bastion of liberal thought and all that. And, and you're not going to change that. 
you know, you're not going to change that. And you know what? It hadn't done anything. I mean, you still look and half the country still conservative, even if they're college educated. So I think trying to appoint a guy like that based on politics and based, based on some sort of reaction, because what they did was they basically said, not nah, libs, we're not going to let you get your person in as president. And then we're going to force it through because, you know, let's go make America great again. All right. And I'm not trying to criticize anybody that's on that side of the spectrum at all. Uh, period. Uh, you know, I, I'm just saying that that's the thought process. And even if they, even if one like it, even if it was like a Bernie Sanders supporter that forced a guy through, I don't think that's right either. I think you got to keep the politics out of it and continue to enrich higher education. Uh, you know, just like the whole thing with the medical school, you and I talked about this the other day, a $35 million medical school has billions of dollars worth of impacts or mm-hmm. impact to communities Uh, of people from all political walks of life. You know, politics are one thing. Great. Let's argue about it. Let's debate it. Let's vote, do whatever. But, but, but politics aren't everything. In fact, they probably should be, you know, minimalized a little bit in our society these days, because we're, we're starting to just hate each other because of it. Um, And and you see that starting with Nikki Haley, making that move all the way through the Frank Martin thing. And now here's this Darla Moore thing. The politics, just like my daddy used to tell me, are creeping their ugly head back into the university. And and I beg people, I beg people to have any sort of voice, you know, make sure people know this is unacceptable because all it's going to do is hurt the University of South Carolina. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, I look at it and I see who's done more good for the University of South Carolina. Darla Moore or Eddie Floyd? And who's done more harm in the University of South Carolina? Probably. Darla Moore or Eddie Floyd? And that's the first one is definitely Darla Moore. And I think our listeners all know who the answer to the second one is. Yeah, and I'll leave it at that. Um... Hitler art con- art collection notwithstanding. <laughs> oh, the Nazi art collection. The Nazi art collection. At that wow. point, for him, I read that and I was like, "My God, man! How did it get? I don't if you just lie, Look, tell it, tell them it's a Van Gogh." So yeah. here's how that happened: was somebody pushed a button on him because they wanted to stick it to him. He had stuck it to somebody else. Yep. Somebody called a reporter and said, oh, hey, by the way, do you know uh, Eddie Floyd is infatuated with World War II leaders, and he bought these rare paintings of Adolf Hitler? (laughs) On that note. (laughs) Hey, 420 is coming. 11 more days. That's uh, 420's Hitler's birthday, so... That's also uh, National Weed Smoking Day. Yeah, 420. Yeah. Um, but not that those two are remotely related. No, they're opposite opposite ends of the spectrum there. So I don't know, but yeah, I hope. I just I just think this this Darla Moore thing is probably the last straw uh, because I see a situation that reared its ugly head again, again, starting with Nikki Haley, removing her from the board, going right on through the McMaster Caslin thing. And, and now here we are, you know, and, and that's just too much for me. 
I, and uh, you know, you, you could include the the Daryl Jackson telling everybody he can't fire Frank Martin because of the medical school situation. So, so because of the politics, I'm begging anybody out there with a voice, and I don't care what your politics are on either side of the aisle, they need to be left out of, of decisions. Of the University of South Carolina, South Carolina, University of South Carolina has done much better and even thrived uh, during the periods where people leave the leadership alone and just shut shut their dang mouth and get behind and support them. You know, get behind it. If you love the University of South Carolina, your opinion probably doesn't matter enough or you're probably not smart enough uh, to do what these guys are doing. Uh, and so the best thing you could do if you're in a position of authority is just be quiet and, and, uh, and, and support them, you know. And, and, and I'm not saying never complain or say anything, but – as far as impacting major decisions and leadership, that needs to be left to the professionals. And that, that's all I'll that's all I'll say about that. All right. Anything else, Keith, today before we get out of here for the everybody's working for the weekend, you know? Nope, everybody's working for the weekend. I know I'm just working to get over this air infection. It's been a great show. Our first simulcast episode of the Inside the Gamecocks and the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast. I will say this. Uh, we had a really great week of shows. We had Hale McGranahan on earlier this week from the Big Spur. If you love women's basketball, yesterday I had a 90-minute conversation with Greg Hadley from Go Gamecocks in the state. A deep dive into Dawn Staley's program, kind of, uh, uh, you know, summary for this season, looking at players, uh, looking at the Final Four, looking at the state of officiating in women's college basketball, and then looking ahead to next year. Uh, you don't want to miss that. Uh, a great, great uh, conversation on women's basketball. I'm going to be making my way around to try to do a second round of interviews with this number one recruiting class that's coming up uh, that will be enrolling uh, soon. I guess it's getting ready to be prom season. I wonder what kind of proms they'll all have this year. I think it just depends on the numbers in the states. You know, uh, unfortunately, some of these new – I guess spreader events have been linked to young people having parties. So, uh, but Hey man, hopefully they can get something done. I mean, it, the, the word socially distance and prom don't really go together, you know, unless you're unless well, it's like, like uh, baseball, like capacity sellout crowd for Texas Rangers games with 90% of people not wearing masks, super spreader event. Yeah, and I think schools are going to try to avoid that. I, I would hope that they could try to find a way, but you know, it, like I said, what do you? I mean, if it's the prom, I mean, how are you going to socially distance? I mean, I just I don't know. Uh, I just don't know about that. Well, all right, Keith, I'm going to plug something to you guys that uh, listen to the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast. One of the best episodes we've ever had yesterday. Uh, a massive interview with the one and only Brad Nessler. Um, just it was a real personal treat for me and Mike both to talk to. Really laid back guy, talked about his career, talked about some of the best places he's been, and 
Uh, if you love college football, don't miss that. All right, so that'll do it here for the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. For J.C. Sherbert, for Keith Allsep, this is J.C. Sherbert. Everyone have a great weekend, and we'll be back soon.